If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, You are welcome here. who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, the Lord instructs sinners in the way. The Lord leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble the Lord's way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep the Lord's covenant and the Lord's decrees. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who are they that fear the Lord? The Lord will teach them the way that they should choose. They will abide in prosperity and their children shall possess the land. 
the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear the Lord, and the Lord makes the Lord's covenant known to them. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for the Lord will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Let us bow our heads together. There are times we don't know why we show up for church, Holy One. We are tired. The toddler had an epic meltdown because her socks didn't feel right. It's hard to be in a crowd. It's hard to be online. And someone needs to go to the grocery store and the pharmacy the Sunday scaries start earlier and earlier. Plus, isn't this supposed to be a family day? We confess that sometimes we show up just so we won't feel guilty about one more unmet expectation. But we know that showing up is not perfunctory. We are here to pass the peace of Christ with other human beings in a world at war. We are here to linger through the last note of the hymn in a world that sends push notifications. We are here to listen for subtle nuance in a world that shouts in sound bites. So since we're here, turn these ways of being into muscle memory, Holy One, and help them settle into our bones then be with us as we turn peace, lingering, and listening into the ways we live in the world you so love. We pray in the name of Jesus, who loved it too. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? 
No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We jump into this text in the middle of a Q&A session between Jesus and a crowd of people, which has lasted several chapters long at this point in the Gospel of Luke. And so if we go back a few chapters, we see that ancient Q&As are a bit like modern Q&As, which is to say that, generally speaking, when people get to the mic for their turn, it's almost always more a comment than a question. Like the unidentified man who said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Then Peter, who quote unquote asks, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone else? Then, in the part we read today, someone in the crowd tells Jesus the story of some Galileans who Pilate had murdered in a ghastly event that involved blood and sacrifices. We have no access to any other historical details, and no question is stated explicitly, but it doesn't have to be. The story of the event is enough. Jesus knows they are asking if those Galileans deserved this terrible thing, this suffering. The, the people are asking if the Galileans had brought it on themselves, divine punishment for sin. And bless their hearts, they were asking what we ask all the time. Why is this happening? We ask it sometimes in a whisper. Heads shaking, shoulders slumped. Sometimes we ask it while we are screaming at the sky. We would like to know there is a reason for human suffering. And, and it would be best if it has something to do with a person's bad choices that this is a consequence of something they said or ate or drank or believed or assumed or did or didn't do. Or perhaps it's part of a cosmic plan that will explain it, right? The idea that everything happens for a reason is comforting, at least when it's not happening to you. Duke Divinity School associate professor Kate Bowler explores this need for reasons in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. At age 35, Kate's generally great life that included her dream job and the family she always wanted was suddenly 
upended with a stage four colon cancer diagnosis, which comes with a 30 to 50% chance of survival. And by survival, doctors mean two years of life. Not long after, Kate wrote an article printed in the New York Times about what it means to die in a world where everything happens for a reason. Thousands of people responded to her. My inbox, Kate writes, is full of strangers giving reasons. Most everyone I meet is dying to make me certain they want me to know, without a doubt, that there is a hidden logic to this seeming chaos. Christians want me to assure them that my cancer is all part of a plan. A few letters even suggest that God's plan was that I get cancer so I could help people by writing a New York Times article. There is a circular logic to these attempts to explain the course of any life. If you inspire people while dying, the plan for your life was that you become an example to others. If you don't, and you die kicking and screaming, the plan was that you discover some important divine lesson. Either way, learn to accept God's plan. Even when I was still in the hospital, a neighbor came to the door and told my husband that everything happens for a reason. I'd love to hear it, he replied. Pardon, she said, startled. The reason why my wife is dying, he said, in that sweet and sour way he has, effectively ending the conversation as the neighbor stammered something and handed him a casserole. That's what this crowd wanted to believe, too, that everything happens for a reason, Jesus being Jesus, says that quiet part out loud. Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? This is not the only time Jesus faced this question. When the disciples encountered a blind man, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus replied that neither the man nor his parents had sinned so as to cause the blindness. And we could dismiss these stories as examples of how silly people used to be. Of course, God doesn't work this way. But if we go back to those letters people sent to Kate Bowler, we find that many cling to that kind of reasoning. Why are you dying? A man from Idaho wrote to her. Some people think it's cruel for God to let you die so young. But the answer is simple and crystal clear. God is a just God to let you die. This is the consequence for your sin. Kate received that little word of encouragement while she sat in a hospital waiting room watching a woman cough flecks of red blood into her white sweater and sink back into her chair. We are all the choir of the damned, Kate sighed. After Jesus articulated what the crowd was really asking, he gave another example of innocent people suffering randomly. He referred to an ancient an accident in Jerusalem. Eighteen persons died when a tower fell on them. 
It was his way of saying, just as innocent people suffer randomly, as these two examples just show us, so you, though innocent, can expect to suffer too. Clearly, Joel Osteen had not yet had a chance to mentor Jesus. <laughs> the former suggests that one's financial, social, or physical condition is always a direct reflection of one's spiritual state. Jesus, on the other hand, announced God's favor on those who are poor and the sick. Had Joel been in the crowd that day, he might have pulled Jesus aside to tell him that that kind of messaging will not launch the ministry that results in private plane jets. People respond much more enthusiastically to the idea that we have control over what happens to us. This is especially true of those who don't hold the belief that suffering in general is due to personal sinful deeds. We prefer to believe that there is a way to avoid suffering, to sidestep tragedy, to bypass pain, escape, evade, elude bad things happening to us. If we do this, don't do that, pray for this, ask for that, follow all the rules, or only break the ones that don't matter, then we can manage our way out of trouble. Control, Kate Bowler writes, is a drug, and we are all hooked, whether or not we believe in the prosperity gospel's assurance that we can master the future with our words and attitudes. I can barely admit to myself that I have almost no choice but to surrender, but neither can those around me. I can hear it in my sister-in-law's voice as she tells me to keep fighting, Friends keep sending me recipes for green drinks and quinoa salads and others ship herbal supplements straight to my house. Just try. Just try, they are saying. You can eat your way out of this diagnosis. I can see it in my academic friends who do what researchers do and Google the hell out of my problem. When did the symptoms start, they ask. Is this hereditary? Buried in all their concern, is the unspoken question, do I have any control? So according to the story, there's good news and bad news. The good news, the divine punishment doesn't work the way some of us were taught. The bad news, we are not in control. Before we, or the crowd, can offer another comment, Jesus keeps going. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. This is another very Jesus-y thing to do, to make sure we are actually focused on the main thing, which is this the obligation of every person to live in penitence and trust before God. And that penitent trust is not to be linked to life's sorrows or to life's joys. Life in the kingdom is not an elevated game of gaining favors and avoiding loss. Without repentance, all is lost anyway. I know that Penitence and repentance can be loaded words for some of us, but what we're getting at here is being 
reflective, reflecting on things? Are we being reflective enough to think about how we are living to recognize times when we've fallen short and then change the way we live accordingly? And then Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the barren fig tree. And this time the conversation is between a landowner and the man whom he has hired to be its caretaker. The landowner had planted a fig tree in his vineyard and he calculated that it was about time to gather figs from it. But taking a look, he found that the tree was barren. As a good steward of his land and crops, the owner concluded that there were two problems. One, the tree is worthless because it had been barren. And two, it was taking up space that otherwise could be productive in the vineyard. So it was time to cut it down. But the caretaker pleads for patience. Give it another year, he says. In the meantime, I will loosen the soil around it and add fertilizer. It might still produce fruit, and that would be good. So yes, our lives are going to end. It may be in a terrible accident. It may be because of an incurable disease. Even if we knew it weren't going to be either of those two things, we still know that we are going to die. Even now, our lives as we know them are always coming to an end. The current rhythm and rhyme change. The kids grow up. We change jobs. We are orphaned. We lose friends. We make a gigantic mistake. The pandemic turns the world upside down. And it might seem like nothing really matters since everything can be taken away in the blink of an eye. So, so what do we do? How do we live with this uncertainty? And that parable, that parable leaves open the possibility of fruitfulness with intentional tending, with intentional care, even when it seems like nothing good can come, when it seems like nothing will grow or produce or sustain life, there are still possibilities. There are other ways to interpret this parable. Of course, this is the nature of parables. But, but perhaps what Jesus was trying to say is best interpreted by Kate Bowler's conversation with one of her oncologists, a man who had won a huge prize for his discovery of her particular form of cancer, a man who also knew the deep pain and devastation of losing a child and had to figure out what came after I'm not sure I want to know what happens if I stop chemotherapy, but at the same time, I want to get it over with, Kate confessed to him. What would you do? I'd go to work, he says, and I realize the weight of what he is saying. His office is plain and sensible, which confirms something I already knew about him five minutes into our conversation. He has suffered, and there is work to do. In what were the worst moments of his life, he put one foot in front of the other. He tasked himself with a series of responsibilities that ultimately gave me back this year, and maybe more. But what I loved more than anything was that he did it without knowing 
it would matter. We're all terminal, he says simply, and it answers my unspoken question. How do you stop? You just stop. You come to the end of yourself, and then you take a deep breath and say a prayer and get back to work. Don't skip to the end, he said gently. Don't skip to the end. We're all terminal. So let me say it again, friends. Whatever is happening, whatever may happen, we must tend to what we can, care for what is right in front of us, loosen the soil, add some love, and don't skip to the end. We never know what will happen in between. Don't skip to the end. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.